Quarterback is the most valuable position in pro sports. Finding an elite franchise quarterback is one of the toughest tasks owners and scouts have to do. So with that being said, it must be such a pain, such a it must be so cringeworthy for owners to see their franchise quarterbacks running around in the open field. To me at least, it makes zero sense for a quarterback to ever get tackled in the open field. If a quarterback escapes the pocket, the first thing on their mind should be to get next to the sideline. And the second thing should be that the second that they see a defender, even if it's five yards away, they should just scamper out of bounds, just go out of bounds. I don't care if the defender is 10 yards away. If you see a defender coming after you, you just better get out of bounds, right? And if, if you can't get out of bounds, if you're not next to the sideline, you better be sliding the second you see a defender, even 15 yards close to you, because you are too valuable to your team to do that. That's why it, it just boggles my mind when I see these ultra-bright, ultra-talented quarterbacks run in the open field. Carson Wentz, Cam Newton, and now Josh Allen. That's why I think the hit on Josh Allen is so stupid to even discuss, okay? The defender is doing his job. He's doing what he gets paid to do. He's tackling the person with the football. Josh Allen, in that situation, was just doing something very stupid. Okay, people can complain all they want about, oh, you know, this hit looked bad on the replay. It looked like he was targeting Josh Allen. But to my understanding... Josh Allen could have very easily avoided that position at all. The video shows Josh Allen making a move on the first defender to get the first down. So in no way was he ever trying to go down at all. He was trying to get the first down. Which, to a defender, it's letting them know that they have full permission to go right after you and tackle you like you're a ball carrier. Because now you are. I know that Josh Allen was trying to get a first down, and I know that he was trying to help his team, but he was tackled just about two yards short of the first down mark. He sees the defender in front of him. What did he think was going to happen? You know, I was thinking about this too. Maybe Josh Allen got hit in the head a different time throughout the game before this play that made him not think correctly on that play. That's all I can think of. And did he think that the the defensive back was going to say, oh, God, like, I'm scared of hitting a quarterback, you know, I don't want to get a penalty. Well, the second that Josh Allen steps out of the pocket or steps out of the line of scrimmage and into the open field, he's no longer a quarterback. He's just a ball carrier. And even though the Patriots defender did get a penalty on that, I don't agree with that. Okay. Defenders live for that one moment to see a quarterback in the open field and to hit them. Now, not only is Josh Allen hurt, but now he just costs his team some games. Even though he was trying to help his team to begin with, it ended up backfiring on him more than he even could imagine. He could have helped his team by doing different things like maybe not throwing three interceptions or maybe throwing a touchdown here and there. Those are some things that quarterbacks would do to help a team. Getting one first down, that probably meant nothing. Really didn't help this team that much. If you watch Lamar Jackson, when he escapes the pocket, he's smart, right? He's smart. When he escapes the pocket, he's always next to the sideline. He runs about two yards next to the sideline. So in case the defender is coming after him, he can make a move to the sideline because he's not trying to risk an injury, okay? Cam Newton is just about one more open field hit from retirement, in my opinion. I think Cam Newton has taken way too many open field hits, right, for a quarterback. So it's important in this league to know your role, to know what you are on your team. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson... Carson Wentz and Aaron Rodgers, 
are considered playmakers, in my opinion. They are playmakers. They can use their feet. They are able to improvise in plays. Josh Allen, Cam Newton, and Baker Mayfield at times can can be considered play forcers, right? Quarterbacks are, are way too valuable in this league. And elite quarterbacks are even more rare to be wasted away by running outside of the pocket and getting destroyed. So I have some sound from Tom Brady about quarterbacks running outside the pocket. And this is just from his interview on the Greg Hill Show on WEI. So I'll let you listen to that. It's about a minute and a half. Um, you know, it's just, it's part of, it's, it's, it's part of football. I mean, my career, I mean, the reality is my career started, you know, when Drew got hit on the sideline, you know, so, you know, Drew was running for a first down and, you know, those defensive players, I think they are very fast and very physical. Um, actually I had a play like that up in Buffalo early in my career where I was scrambling up the right side and you know, tried to hold on to the ball, and uh, I tried to slide late, and guy hit me, and my helmet flew about 10 yards away. Um, you know, it kind of riled up their whole sideline, and, uh, you know, it just, I, I remember the next day Coach Belichick said to me, I'll never forget this, uh, he said, hey, Brady, if you want to have a career in this league, you know, when you're running like that, you either throw the ball away or you slide. So I'll never forget Coach Belichick telling me that. And I've kind of taken to that. You know, I think that's, you know, a lot of quarterbacks who, who do run, um, you know, it's it's you're trying to make yards, and it's great. You know, at the same time, you're susceptible to, you know, big hits. Um, you know, and that's, again, whether it's flagged or not or whether it's a penalty, I mean, that's, a lot of the rules have changed over the years. But, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, you know, I feel like it's always best to try to be available to the team and it's tried to take, you know, risk-reward and so forth. And, again, nobody likes to see anybody get hurt out there, um, you know. And, and uh, you know, from my own experience, you know, I try to do the best I can to avoid, you know, any big shots like that. Unless you're a quarterback that can run a 4-6 or a 4 six, five, you better be either sliding or getting out of bounds when you get outside that pocket and get a pass that line of scrimmage. Because most guys in the secondary on defense are much, much faster than you. They will get to you quicker than you think. Quarterbacks are way too valuable to a team. They are more valuable than anything on that team. They are the most valuable piece. I think Zeke is the best running back in football, but... I think if Dak went down, the Cowboys would suffer more than if Zeke went down. The offensive line is top three in the league. They can put a a regular running back in like Tony Pollard. He can still get 4.6 yards a carry. he'll He'll be fine. He would be fine. That's why in the summer, when the Zeke holdout stuff was going on, I was I was thinking about a trade. I was thinking that the Cowboys could get a haul for Zeke. And it was the same way with the Chargers. I think the Chargers could have got a haul for Melvin Gordon as well. Because in this league, quarterbacks are like houses. Okay, you pay them just as you would a mortgage. Now, I'm 18 years old. I don't know how mortgages work, but maybe someone can text in on how they do work. But to my understanding, to the best of my understanding, that this is the best analogy I could think of. So every family needs a place to stay, right? Not every family or team is lucky enough to own a mansion or a beachside property or a house in the Hollywood Hills, right? Houses like that and quarterbacks like that are Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, and Carson Wentz. Ultra-talented quarterbacks who can be flashy, right? But it works for them. They can, they can work with that, okay? Then you have houses that are in great areas, have great schools, great neighbors, and it's all around a great place for them to be, right? Now, let's just change the word schools to coaching and neighbors to teammates and personnel, obviously. So these quarterbacks and houses would be Tom Brady, 
with Bill Belichick as a great coach and very good teammates and personnel around him. We have Jared Goff, great coach and Sean McVay, great pieces around him. Russell Wilson, great coach, Pete Carroll, very, very good pieces around him. Now, I think Russell Wilson does more with less than a lot of these quarterbacks in the league. You could argue Tom Brady does more does more with less than any quarterback in history. But this year, specifically, Russell Wilson has turned tight end Will Dillisley from a blocking tight end to one of the most productive tight ends in the league. That's what Russell Wilson can do. Russell Wilson is a playmaker. He makes plays, and he makes his teammates make plays. So he's valuable. Then you have Philip Rivers. Anthony Lynn, head coach. Okay, you have some great pieces as well. Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen. Pretty good defense. Deshaun Watson. Bill O'Brien. DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller. Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde. Okay. Then we have Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is an outlier, in my opinion, because... While he has great weapons, his coaching is is just okay. I don't think his coaching is as good as the other guys I mentioned. But he's still on this list. Then we have Drew Brees, who has a great coach, Sean Payton. Great pieces around him, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. And now we can I can switch Drew Brees with Teddy Bridgewater because Teddy Bridgewater has come in and he's shown that he can, do, he can do the same things Drew can do now. Let me digress for a second. Not the same things like he's not as talented as Drew Brees, but he utilizes his pieces very well. He utilizes them efficiently. He knows, he knows how to manage the game. And then on this list, we have Dak Prescott. Now, he's pretty much in the same boat as Matt Ryan because I think that he has the best weapons in the league he has the best weapons by by far right but his coaching is very below average okay jason garrett below average court uh below average coach i think that they should start looking for a new head coach i don't think that jason garrett's getting the job done down there because they have a super bowl team they have a team built for the super bowl they're built to win games right they're not gonna they're not gonna win with Jason Garrett. They have to get a new head coach. And next we have some houses that are just kinda outliers. These are houses that are in the same neighborhood as the other ones I mentioned. But they don't look as good as the previous houses. They're not in very good shape. Um they can't get anyone to really buy in or really trust them in big situations. So these are Kirk Cousins, Mitchell Trubisky, Matt Stafford, Cam Newton, Case Keenum, and Andy Dalton. Okay, Kirk Cousins has never shown that he is a great quarterback. He has never shown that he is a elite quarterback. Now, he has elite weapons in Minnesota. He has probably the best wide receiver duo in the league, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. But it seems that in recent, in the recent weeks that they've been... Uh, pretty much attacking Kirk Cousins and wondering why that they're not doing well with him, right? Kirk Cousins has pieces. If you were to put Dak Prescott in Minnesota, Vikings would be 4-0 because Dak knows how to manage his, his weapons. He's got Randall Cobb, Amari Cooper, and Zeke. He knows how to use them all very well. He's great at that. He's great at using his weapons. Kirk Cousins not. Kirk Cousin cannot get the ball to Adam Thielen. He can't get the ball to Stephon Diggs. Now, he can get the ball to Dalvin Cook by handing it off, but the offensive productivity is so low with the Vikings. Okay? Then we have Mitchell Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky, he has... Very very underrated weapons. David Montgomery, Tariq Cohen, Anthony Miller, 
he's got some good weapons on that offense. But he falls into a similar category with Josh Allen where tries to run. He tries to run a lot. Okay. Now, Mitchell Trubisky is, I would never consider him a top quarterback in this league, but he has decent weapons. He has we- he, his defense is considered a weapon because his defense will keep them in, will, will keep his team in games. Mitchell Trubisky is not going to keep his team in games. So he has to rely on his backfield and, you know, his young wide receiving core. But Trubisky's below average quarterback. Then we have Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford, in my opinion, has never been great. I've never considered Matt Stafford a great quarterback. I've considered him one of the best um, throwing quarterbacks in the league. He's one of the best arms in the league, but, I mean... He has Carrion Johnson, Mar- Marvin Jones. He has some good receivers and good running backs. He's got a good head coach, Matt Patricia. But Matt Stafford, can he's never shown he can get it done deep into the playoffs or deep into the year. So I wouldn't consider Matt Stafford to be a great quarterback, a great manager of the game. I think Matt Stafford's just just got a big arm. I think he's just an arm talent. He's one of, he's one of those freakish guys with great arm. But, I mean, I, I just cannot see him being great with this team. Next, we have Cam Newton. Cam Newton is one of the most... Mm, he, he reminds me a lot of Russell Westbrook. Let me tell you why. Russell Westbrook in the NBA likes to be flashy. He likes to wear a lot of flashy clothes... Um, he has flashy style, you know, the way he plays is flashy. Cam Newton is very similar to that. Plays very flashy, always has some nice clothes on. But Cam Newton has really never shown that he is great, okay? Except for the 2015 season where he made it to the Super Bowl with his, with his Panthers team, where he led them to the Super Bowl. I I don't think Cam Newton has ever lived up to the same expectations. Every year since then, he has completely digressed every year. Now, I have some sound from Michael Vick about Cam Newton. This is from uh, Speak for Yourself podcast on FS1 with uh, Jason Whitlock and Marcellus Wiley. So I'll play that for a second. Um, yeah, just Michael Vick talking about Cam Newton. I'll play that right now. Got everybody watching you, Cam, include your teammates. And look, it, it, this is not, you know, this is not a fashion show. This is football. You know, I mean, throw the suit on. We like, the hats was cool. Got away with that. But, I mean, I, I respect Cam for what he do as a football player. Look, I, I respect him because he loves fashion. But, you know, it's it's a different demeanor, a different approach you got to take as far as your appearance and everything, man. Everything plays a factor. That's a cool. I think Cam and Russell Westbrook share some similarities. I'll name three. They both are flashy, flashy dressers, you know, flashy on the field or on the court. Number two, they can be hard to play with at some times. Russell has, we've we've heard stories that Russell can be hard to play with from teammates such as Kevin Durant, Paul George, you know, and those are things that concern a team. The way Cam Newton plays hurts his team and it makes his teammates feel like it's hard to play with him. The way that he runs outside of the pocket sometimes, the way that he plays the game can be considered hard to play with, okay? The third, aside from the 2015 Super Bowl, Cam Newton has almost been a disappearing act when it comes into the late of the season. When it comes to late December or late November and early January, it's like he's doing a disappearing act. It's like he disappears. We don't see him. That's similar to Russell Westbrook. Every year since KD and James Harden were on his team, it seems like later in the year he's more of a a disappearing act. It's more of a a flash, but no no production. So I think that it's similar situation the Panthers are in now. It's almost like the Thunder in the summer, right? When, excuse me. When Paul George left the Thunder, 
the Thunder had a, had a reason to give up Russell Westbrook. They had a reason now to say, okay, Paul George is gone. We can let we can let Westbrook go. We can make a trade now. And I think it's similar because the Panthers are in a situation where Cam Newton's out. Kyle Allen is in. Now they have an opportunity to to say, well, we can we can cut our losses with Cam and we can send him off to a team that needs a quarterback. Because I'm in no way saying that Cam Newton is not an NFL quarterback. I think Cam Newton is a very talented quarterback. But there's plenty of teams who need a quarterback. And Kyle Allen has shown he can use his weapons just as good, if not better, than Cam Newton. So, in my opinion, the Viking the, the Vikings should be look like opening their eyes and saying, Wow, okay, the Panthers are starting to not give up on Cam Newton, but they have reason to believe that they can give him up. The Vikings would be a great spot for Cam Newton. Great players, great personnel. They would win a Super Bowl with that team. I'll tell you right now, they would. They would win a Super Bowl with that team. Now, they wouldn't win it when Tom Brady's still in the league, but maybe when Tom retires, if Cam Newton's on that team, they would win. That's beside the point. Anyway, back to what I was saying. So the next house in this neighborhood is Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, Jimmy Garoppolo has not really shown, to me at least, that he's very good or very elite. But he has some good pieces around him. Got a good young head coach. Got a good defense. Got a good tight end. Got some good young receivers. But I would in no way consider him to be in that neighborhood with Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, or Dak Prescott. No, I think he's I think he's where he should be in a moderate neighborhood, right? The next player, Case Keenum. Case Keenum has just never never really been a quarterback that I considered a great quarterback. He's always had some weapons, aside from this year with the Redskins. He's had weapons, but the Redskins this year, he just it just went to show that he didn't have any weapons, so the team wasn't good and he wasn't good. The next player is Andy Dalton, okay? Andy Dalton has Tyler Boyd, has John well, not John Ross now. John Ross is injured. Has Joe Mixon. Has Giovanni Bernard. But you know what he also has? Marvin Lewis. Who in my opinion is the worst head coach in the National Football League. I think he should have gotten fired three years ago. So Andy Dalton, it's not really his fault. Well, it is his fault because Andy Dalton is not very good at all. I think Andy Dalton might be the 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 worst quarterback in the league. Right next to Case Keenum and Kirk Cousins. But Andy Dalton is falling into a a category where he's he's washed up, but he really was never someone who was great. I think Andy Dalton just fell into a bad position. He got unlucky. If you would have if you would have got drafted onto a team with multiple good wide receivers, a good head coach, I think his career would be much different. But the way that the cookie crumbled, Andy Dalton got stuck with Marvin Lewis and not very good personnel. The next category of houses is for the younger families and younger teams with maybe a baby or multiple children, multiple young children, or families, you know, who just got recently married. So let's just hypothetically change baby to young quarterback and change uh, families or multiple children to young head coaches of young teams. So in this category, we have Kyler Murray, who, one of the best young quarterbacks in the game, has a great young head coach, but... Kyler Murray's house and the Cardinals' house is filled with a lot of great relics. So they they have moved they have moved into a house that was probably previously owned by um, a, an older person. So they have an old clock, an old wise, you know, clock that's been there for a long time. That's Larry Fitzgerald. They also have some old, but recently new gadgets. They have a nice TV, about an eight-year-old TV, David Johnson. But then they have some nice young young receivers. They have some nice uh, young dogs running around. You know, they, it, it, It's a great family over there. You should stop by once or twice. It's a great family. The Murrays are great, okay? But 
Anyway, the Cardinals are in a great position. They don't have any pressure on them to win right now. So they fly under the radar with pretty good weapons, pretty good head coach, pretty good quarterback. That NFC West is the best division in football. Every team is competing against each other. The game last the game last night, Seahawks versus Rams, could could be considered the best game of the year so far, in my opinion. That was a great game. So that's as one house. The next house is Sam Darnold's house and the Jets. Okay, Sam Darnold is very young. He's a little sick of this at, at this point. He'll be better by Sunday. He's got Adam Gase, a younger head coach. Um, they recently just adopted an older dog. Someone who's been... I'd say he's like a rescue dog, Le'Veon Bell. Been, been through a lot. Le'Veon Bell is still good. This dog is still great. A great dog, great piece of the family. They also have a great protection system. On defense, at least. They have a great defense. Jamal Adams. You know, the defensive line is getting there. But for now, they're okay. They're okay. Next house is the Giants with Daniel Jones. Okay, Daniel Jones has a younger head coach, a young running back, young receivers. His whole team is young, right? Daniel Jones is going to work. The Giants are going to work. Not this year, but they're going to work in in the next few years. Because Daniel Jones is special. I think that team is going to be special. The next team, the Dolphins. Okay, the Dolphins have Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen has just fallen into a a bad position. He's in a bad position. Josh Rosen, too young. The team is... Very un- very overmatched every game. There's not much they can do. And then the last house I will talk about is the Cleveland Browns house. So they have young Baker who needs attention. They have a young dog, Freddie Kitchens, that needs attention. This family also bought a red Ferrari in the name of Odell Beckham Jr. And some families can't afford to buy a flashy car or a sick pool or a great trampoline. The Browns would be considered, you know, a young couple who just had a baby. But instead of purchasing a normal car, they bought a brand new Ferrari in Odell. They also bought an an unpredictable puppy by the name of Freddie Kitchens. And all three of them seem to be competing for the most attention, which is not very viable for an NFL team. So in that case, the Browns are the most dysfunctional house in the NFL. So let me go back a little bit to the houses of Tom Brady, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson... The houses that I mentioned up here are the best because they have the best protection system. They have great security systems, offensive line. They have great defenses. Okay, so they're protected around all always, right? Now, let's go back to the mansions with Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz. So those teams, you look at you look at that house and you say, wow, what a nice house. Look at those quarterbacks. Say, wow, what what a great quarterback, right? They are freakish talents. Aaron Rodgers is a freakish talent. Carson Wentz is probably one of the most freakishly talented quarterbacks ever in this league. Lamar Jackson, ultra talented, ultra bright. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes might be the most talented quarterback in this league today. I think he is. But you know, what they also, you know what all these houses have in common? Top-tier houses always have the best protections. Eagles have one of the best offensive lines. The Chiefs have a good offensive line. Right, Every good house 
has an even better security system. And that's what a lot of teams and a lot of houses miss out on. A lot of teams get robbed in games. They get beat in games because they don't have a great defense. They don't have a great offensive line. But the teams and quarterbacks that I mentioned in the top-tier houses, they have great offensive lines. They have great defenses. So the younger the younger teams, the recently married teams, and the recently moved-in teams, those are teams that should be looking up to the mansions and the other houses in the great neighborhoods and say, what got them to where they are? And the truth is, it's most likely the offensive line, defense, and a good quarterback. All right, this is Trevor Hesse here, Temple University, fan of the people podcast. And I'm going to show you guys my playoff predictions. Uh, So first seed, I got 76ers. You know, I think they improved this year. Even though they lost Jimmy Butler, they added Al Horford, you know, Josh Richardson. They got a lot of height in that lineup with Ben Simmons at point guard. So I think this year, you know, they're going to cause some problems in the East, uh, especially since the East is not as deep as it has been. Uh, for the second seed, I got the Bucks. You know, they they lost a little bit. They lost Lopez and Malcolm Brogdon over the offseason, but I still think, you know, they have a phenomenal coach and a great system, and they still got the players to run it very well. So I'm going to put them at number two. Number three, you got my Toronto Raptors. And I know this is a bold pick. Beat. Because, uh, you know, they lost Kawhi, obviously. But they're still coming off a championship. They still have a great team. They have some developing guys like OG Ananobi. You know, you got Fred Van Vliet, still young. Uh, Kyle Lowry, he still has some all-star years left in him, I think. And, you know, on top of that, you got Siakam, you know, rising star in the league, and Marcus Gasol. So... For the fourth seed, I have the Celtics. Uh, I think uh, Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum are going to take a big leap this year. You know, they they both had a, a down year, you could say. But I think they're going to figure it out. I think I've seen them working hard. I've seen the videos working hard in the offseason. So I think the Celtics are going to be good, even though they lost Kyrie. But I think Kemba Walker is a good replacement and a good fit in place of Kyrie. So this is where the seeding gets a little rough. It's a little, you know, it's hard to be sure. Yeah, it's a little shaky. So for the fifth seed, I got the Pacers. You know, uh, Miles Turner, great young big man. Oladipo's back. They picked up Malcolm Brogdon. I think they're just they're just gonna do their thing. They're always under the radar, but I think they're gonna, you know, get a decent amount of wins this season. Uh for the sixth seed, I got the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they're gonna they're gonna be better this year, I think, with Kyrie. Obviously Durant's out probably for the whole season. They got DeAndre Jordan, so you know, next year, next season, I think they're going to get really good when Durant gets back. But for now, I got them at the sixth seed. Seventh seed, I picked the Miami Heat. You know, Jimmy Butler has already shown that he's been a leader to that team. You can already see the team loves him. And he's been working hard, clocked into practice at 3.30 in the morning the other day. So I think he's going to have a great year. I think the Heat's going to have a good season. For the eighth seed, I have a split between two teams. I couldn't decide. I have the Magic and the Pistons. I think, you know, the Pistons are going to be pretty good this season. They got D. Rose. I'm expecting him to have another good year. No injury problems right now. Uh, You know, they got Drummond. They got Blake Griffin. I think they're going to be pretty good but the magic 
they're also right there. They got Markel Fultz, Mo Bamba. I think they're both going to step it up this season. Uh, Markel Fultz obviously has been disappointing, but I think his nerve problem is getting better. And, you know, I think he's going to fix those problems. I'm a big Markel Fultz guy. So. That's the East? That's the East prediction. Yeah, that's, that's the East right there. So I agree with most of the list. Only thing I don't agree with is the Celtics placement. I think that Kyrie leaving is the best thing that ever happened to the Celtics. Kyrie was the biggest poison to that team. Kyrie was holding them back all of last year. I put them at three and the Raptors at four. But other than that, this is a great list. Um, thank you. It's a fair list. Uh, how about the West? All right, moving on to the Western Conference. Uh, very stacked a lot of good teams so some of these are going to you know subject to change of course depending on the season so first seed I got the Clippers they're going to have the best defensive team in the league that's not saying much they already have you know they got Patrick Beverly they got Kawhi Paul George Montrez Harrell they're going to be insanely good defensively a lot of talent on that team also. You got Lou Williams coming off the bench probably. Uh, some good scoring there. Uh, number two seed. This one's controversial. I got the Nuggets at number two. They're bringing back the same team as last year almost. But they still got young developing guys. You still got you know their big three. Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Nikola Jokic. But... Michael Porter Jr. is healthy and you know back in the beginning of college before he got hurt and in high school you know he was looking like a number one overall draft pick so if he really is healthy and he can return to form you know I think he's going to be a really good addition for them uh, also they got Bull Bull in the draft you know fell right to them I think he's going to be a project player but you know I think they can de- develop him into a good NBA player next team I got the Lakers you know LeBron and AD what else you got to say they're going to be lights out might be the most entertaining duo to watch this season we'll see what happens uh fourth seed I got the Warriors you know still bringing back a good team Clay's out for the season most likely but now you got D'Angelo Russell added onto that team. So, you know, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and D'Angelo Russell in your starting lineup, they're still going to be a really good team no matter what. Uh, the next team I got is the Rockets. A lot of people think they're going to be worse than I think they're going to be. I think James Harden and Russell Westbrook can you know, work together well. They got good chemistry. They've been friends for as long as they've been in the league. And I really think they're just going to, you know, be dynamite. I think, you know, people are underestimating what they can do together. Uh, So the sixth seed, I have the Jazz. I would have put them higher, but the Western Conference is very good this season. Uh, they added on Mike Conley, Bogdanovich. Those are going to be big additions, both underrated players. Bogdanovich is a great shooter. Mike Conley, great playmaker, good defender. You know, he's one of the most underrated players in the league. And the Jazz are a very underrated team as well. They fly under the radar, small market team. So I think, I think they're, they're still going to be good this season. They're going to really contend. That's going to be a tough early team to play in the playoffs. Uh, So, seventh seed, I got the Mavericks. Porzingis is back and maybe better than ever. Still young, still developing. Seven foot four, great skills. And on top of that, Luka Doncic is coming off an incredible rookie season, rookie of the year. And I think 
they're going to be the best pick and roll duo in the league. I mean, how are you going to defend that? You know, rivaling LeBron James and Anthony Davis, of course. Uh, so for the eighth seed, I have the Blazers. Uh, you know, bringing in Whiteside, I think, is good for them. Nurkic, I don't know when in the season he's coming back, but when he does, you know, hopefully he's as good as he was before he got injured because he was playing very well. Uh, they still got Dame. They still got CJ. You know, I think they're going to be pretty good team, eighth seed in a tough Western Conference. So that's all my picks for the NBA playoffs this season. Those are my predictions. You know, if you disagree with me, I don't really care. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, now that that's over with, you can follow me on Instagram if you want to. Trev, T-R-E-V, 3-4 underscore. Ladies, DM me. I'm single. All right, so I agree with most of the list in the West. I think the, the Nuggets are... A good team to put it to. I agree with that. The Rockets, I have some questions about because Westbrook in Oklahoma was tough to play with, according to some players. I don't know if those trends are going to continue in Houston with James Harden. Um, those two guys are the most talented, two of the most talented players in the league. But the team that I'm more questioning is the Mavericks this year. I'm actually going to question the Mavericks because. Even with Luka and Chris Tapps, they don't have depth at point guard. They don't have really anyone else. But, I mean, I don't. I see the Mavs, if anything, they get the eighth seed. The Blazers are going to be good, I feel like. I actually think that Hassan, Whiteside, and Damian Lillard are going to complement each other. Um, big man and small man. But, no, I like the list. I like the list. How do you feel about the Pelicans this year? Young team, probably youngest team in the league. What are your thoughts? I think they're going to be a great team in a few years. They got young developing players. They got Lonzo Ball. Not a huge fan, to be honest. Uh, but, you know, if people, if he develops the way people say he's going to, then they're going to have a good team in a few years. Zion, obviously, everyone thinks he's going to be a beast. I'll be shocked if he's not. Uh, let's see, Brandon Ingram, kind of stagnant the last couple of years. But, you know, I think on this team, he's going to have you know, a different role than he had on the Lakers. I think, you know, he can have sort of a leadership role. He's been in the league a few years, uh, and he's still really young. I think he's like 22, 23 still. So, yeah, I think those guys are going to go together well. Uh, They got J.J. Redick, too. Underrated pickup. He's a fantastic shooter, of course. Uh, But Western Conference, they'll probably be... Uh, I don't know. Probably lower than the 10th seed, I would say. A lot of good teams in the West. And, you know, they got to figure it out as a young team. So with all these picks and projections, give me your idea of NBA Finals. Who's going to be in the NBA Finals this year? For the East, I'm going to go with the Bucks over the Sixers because... I think Giannis in the playoffs next season is just going to be a different animal. He's not going to want to go down like he did last season. Uh, So I think he's going to blow up in the playoffs even more than he did this past season. And in the West, I'm going to say Clippers, but there's a lot of teams with a good shot. Lakers, we'll see how they pan out. Uh, Lakers still have some questions like point guard. They have an interesting big man situation right now. So, for now, I'm going to go with the Clippers versus the Bucks, And I think the Clippers win it all. I think Kawhi is a different animal in the playoffs. So, I think, you know, I think it's going to be a movie. That's all I can say. All right. Great to have you on, Trevor Hesse. All right. Make sure to follow him on Instagram. At the GOAT. Nah, uh, Trev34 underscore. All right, thank you. So this is a segment on the podcast called Best Bets of the Week. 
um, where we called the football guru, Theo Murray, uh, to pick four games, two college, two NFL, that he thinks are going are gonna to win and they're going to cover the, the spread or not. Last week he was 3-1, and one, only losing one game. That was the Baltimore Ravens and the Browns. Uh, not many people picked that game uh, the other way around, so I, I consider him still on a good record. So this week he's going to try to improve that and try to get himself to a perfect week. That's what we always hope for. And so let's hear those predictions. So let me hear those predictions. You were 3-1 and one last week, trying to improve that record again. Um, let's hear some predictions, college and NFL. Okay, I'm going to start with uh, my first college game. Uh, I have Utah State going into Death Valley against number 5 LSU. Uh, Utah State's 3-1 and one in the Mountain West. LSU is 4-0 and oh in the SEC West. You know, being the fact that LSU is the number five team in the country, you know, they have to start impressing the voters. They have to start thinking about what they need to do to get into the top four for the college football playoffs. I know it's early, right? Um, you know, Clemson last week was shaky, and they just barely beat a, not a very good North Carolina team. So I feel like LSU being the odd man out right now in the fifth spot is really going to be looking to, to put it to uh, this opponent so that they open the eyes of the committee. Uh, you're dealing with an LSU team that changed its offense. They're no longer a ground-and-pound type team. They're, they're an RPO-type team. They're looking to put up big numbers. They average 57.8 points a game. Uh, combine that with their opponent, Utah State, uh, 44th in the nation in points allowed. They give up 21.5 points a game. Uh, it's not a question of if LSU wins this game. It's going to be a question of by how many. Because like I said, they have to send a message and put up a big number. So, you know, they're, they're favored by 28 points. Uh, the over-under is 72.5. My prediction is final score, Utah State 14, LSU 48. All right, they're going to cover that 28 points for sure, but they might not get over that 7-2.5. They might keep it under that number. All right, sounds good. What about the second game you got lined up? My second college game, we have the 4-0 Iowa Hawkeyes visiting the 3-1 Michigan Wolverines. Uh, Michigan's 1-1 one one in the Big Ten East. They got throttled a couple weeks ago by Wisconsin, 35-14. Last week, they were able to bounce back with a big win over Rutgers, 52 to nothing. Uh, Iowa, 1-0 in the Big Ten West. They're 1-0 in their conference, with their only win being also over Rutgers. They beat them 30 to nothing. Uh, the thing with Michigan is, you got Jim Harbaugh, the coach, who needs to right this ship real quick. Uh, if they lose this game to Iowa in the big house, Jim Harbaugh might be at the point where he's going to have to beat Michigan State and Notre Dame this year in order to save his job. Uh, you know, if he loses this game and loses to either one of those other teams, he could be he could be all done. Um, Michigan starting quarterback Dylan McCaffrey got injured uh, last week and most likely won't play. The, their backup, Joe Milton, uh, came in in the second half uh, last week, showed some good things, and, you know, I think he might be the starting quarterback. A uh, little side note on Michigan. We're going to keep an eye on number 19 from Michigan on defense coming off the edge. He's a Rhode Island boy, Bishop Hendrickson's own Quitty Pay. So we like to keep an eye on the local guys. Uh, my prediction for a score for this game is Iowa 21, Michigan 35. They cover the three and a half points that they were favored by, and it's going to go over 47 points. 35-21, Michigan. All right, sounds good. And so you were... Two and zero last week in college, and in NFL you were one and one. So let's let's hear the NFL predictions for this week. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the World Champs again uh, with the New England Patriots. I feel as though uh, I have a, a little bit of a beat on them, following them quite a bit. Uh, the thing with New England, and this is the big buzz. So they're four and zero. The Redskins are zero and four. Patriots are favored by fifteen and a half points in this game. Um, but a lot of the buzz around here this week is the performance of New England last week against Buffalo. It seems to me like every year the Patriots um, in the first four weeks of the season, you know, they have a little a little 
game where they stumble a little bit or so. And I think last week was that game against Buffalo, which we pulled it off. We still won. We're 4-0. But in the past, you know, last year the Patriots started 2-2. Two and two. They lost the game to Jacksonville, and they lost the game to a terrible Detroit team. Um, but then they always find a way to turn it around. It takes some time. They really don't find themselves until, you know, say week six or week seven is when they really establish what they're trying to do. Um, but even with the little struggle last week in Buffalo against a good Buffalo team with an offensive line that's patchwork right now, uh, Edelman wasn't 100%. And we're hearing that, that Brady has a calf injury that he, he suffered in the second half against the Jets. Uh, with all those things said, they still pulled out the victory. And like I said, they're 4-0. Uh, even though they're not even at full at full uh, force right now. So, you know, the defense is dominant. The offense is going to have its way with this Redskins team. I don't see it being a problem. My prediction for a score is Washington 10, New England 35. They cover the 15.5 points, and it goes over the 42.5. 35-10, New England. All right, sounds good. So you picked the Patriots last week. You think it's going to be a – a role that you're going to be on picking the Patriots every week or I, I think that you know I think it should be one of my regular picks considering you know I I'm, I'm a big fan I follow I listen to the talking the talking heads talking about the Patriots every week and I read up on them and I think I think I have a good feel on that team All right. how about your uh, your next prediction all right my last game is the two and two Tampa Bay Buccaneers visiting the three and one New Orleans Saints Saints are a three-point favorite in this game. Uh, Tampa last week pulled a major upset over the L.A. Rams. I don't think many people saw that coming. Jameis Winston had one of the best games of his career. Um, One thing I can tell you with certainty is he will not put two games back-to-back. Jameis Winston will not put two games back-to-back like he did. He'll make mistakes in this game like he always does, and a lot of those mistakes are going to cost his team some serious points. New Orleans, you know, the fans were worried when Breeze went down. And, you know, they should be. He's been their guy. But, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is doing his thing. And he's, you know, filling in just fine. Uh, I don't think that the Saints will have too much of a problem. It's not going to be a blowout. But they're going to take care of business. And they're going to move on to 4-1. Uh, and one. Final score prediction from my end is Tampa Bay 24, New Orleans 31. All right. Sounds good. I hope you go 4-0 uh, and oh this week. Hope Patriots win. Hope teams win. So that's good to hear from the the football guru of picks so far. Three and one. Let's see how we Go can Pats. improve. Go Pats. All right. Thank you. All right. See you. So that just about does it for this podcast of the week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, like I said in the beginning, DM me on Twitter and Instagram for any suggestions for the next podcast. If you want to become a guest on the next podcast, feel free to DM me on Instagram or Twitter or tweet me. Uh, So, yeah, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and hope you have a good week. Go Pats.